Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by Bristol City's defence to my Bristol City attack. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, very good. i tell you what though, I was at my coldest uh, yesterday at the Derby game that I have been all season. It was absolutely Baltic, not nice at all. Really? I didn't think yeah. it was that cold. It was it was freezing. Compare it to last week when I went to Luton, bloody sunshine, very nice. This week, freezing. The sun always shines in Luton. Speaking of, <laughs> on the show this week, we have Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. Ian, were you cold yesterday? It's freezing, absolutely Baltic. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Omar from That Millwall Podcast. Are you well? And were you also cold yesterday? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a bit cold at the Medeski Stadium or the Carl Leeson Stadium, wherever it's called nowadays. But yeah, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> I didn't think it was too bad. You, you southern lot, can't get over it. Uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games from the championship this past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In a massive game for the top six, Middlesbrough beat Luton 2-1. Ian... Are you feeling a bit hard done by after this result? Because Luton did miss some good chances in this game, didn't they? Yeah, I think we, we missed we missed quite a few. And I think, you know, the referee had a bit of a shocker. But neither of them were the reasons we lost. We didn't do enough to, to, to earn the right to win the game, really. Um, we didn't really turn up. I wouldn't say we just were on top form either, but they did more than enough to win the game. And we lost on merit, really. Um, just weren't strong enough. We... We weren't strong enough in any areas of the pitch, um, especially in defence. Um, we didn't win enough balls, we didn't win enough second balls, but um, in the end, the result was probably the right one. Hmm. It's a brilliant, brilliant result for Borough, isn't it, Justin? You have had some dodgy results on the road recently. At the Riverside, though, eighth straight home win. Wilders made it into a proper fortress, hasn't he? And that's without really playing to in, in their top gear. I don't think they've really had to hit the heights, um, mainly because they, I mean, they create a lot of chances, but they do have a struggle converting them. So they're not quite blowing teams out of the way. So for them to grind as many games out as they do is is a massive credit to, to Chris Wilder. And again, that belief that he's, that he's drilled into that team is it's a massive, massive plus and massive trait for a team pushing for the playoffs as well. Mm. Ian, since the turn of the year, only Fulham. I've won more points than Luton Town. There you go. Fulham and Luton, top of the 2022 table. Has there been any big change compared to the first half of the season that's led to this unbelievable form we've seen this year? Uh, no, I think we were saying off air, you know, I was kind of expecting it to be a um, a season where we, we, you know, obviously we made a lot of signings, so it was going to be a transition season for us. And I think it's just that's happened quicker than I thought it would. And we've seen the results out of that this season. So we've seen it the second half of the season and we've gathered that little bit of momentum and it's gone our way. Um, I think, you know, the most surprising thing is that the, the way we've dealt with all our injuries, we've had quite a few injuries and big players out. We've had to play Danny Hilton in attacking midfield, for God's sake. So um, we've, we have been a bit thin on the ground at times, but I think that, that work ethic and the team camaraderie that they've got at the moment is really, really good. So that's got us a lot of points, I think. Hmm. The playoff race is so tight right now, isn't it? Just five points separates fourth and tenth. Luton, right amongst it. How do you fancy your chances, Ian? Um, I'm quietly confident, you know. Um, obviously, we, I think there's a couple of teams there that are a lot stronger than us, i.e. Sheffield United and Middlesbrough. I would say they're going to have enough strength to get over the line, even though they've had a couple of dodgy results here and there. 
Um, but then you look at, you know, QPR and Blackburn and you think to yourself, well, could you take advantage of, of their poor form? You know, I think we could. I think we could sneak it. I think it's going to go to the last last day of the season. You know, there's going to be one or maybe two spots left. And I think if we're in that position come the end of the season, you know, we could just sneak in, I think. Um, we've got some a lot of hard games coming up. We've got some potential point earners there as well. So, you know, I'm quietly confident. I've seen enough from our team to think that, you know, we can get there. And again, you know, funnily enough, since the start of the year, We've not really been at our best. We haven't really gone into the second gears like Justin was just saying about Middlesbrough. You know, there's been a lot of games where we've really not got out of first gear and still won it just by, uh, you know, pure tactics and, and, you know, disrupting the game, a bit of time wasting and stuff like that. So um, I think we've needed to do that because of the amount of games we've had um, and we've done it well. Well, another team who might fancy their chances of getting in the top six is Millwall, who won for the fifth straight game after a 1-0 victory over Reading. Omar, how was the game, first of all? Uh, it weren't the prettiest, if I'm honest. I mean, it was typified with Cooper scoring the goal. He's second in two games. Um, yeah, it was... I think we've, we've kind of got a know-how at the moment where we just seem to be kind of churning these results out and not looking pretty. But we managed to kind of take advantage and run a lock at times in the second half and another win, another clean sheet. Well, it means the honeymoon period for Paul Ince at Reading has well and truly been cut short. And our friends at Elm Park Royals said... They would happily see that as Inter's last match in charge. We'll talk about the relegation battle later on in the show, Justin, but it looks as if Reading are heading back to the one that was fairly hapless a few weeks ago. Yeah, it wasn't a terrible performance, but you go wander down against Millwall and you've got the likes of Ovi Ajaria and Yaku Mate on the bench. You don't bring Ajaria on until the 79th minute and Mate until the 85th minute. It's terrible game management. I'm sure Omar would have been pretty pleased to see those players on you can change games, come on quite late. You don't have enough time to make an impact. He played into Rowlett's hands and you can see why he's not managed the team for eight years. It was terrible, terrible management. Well, Justin, you say, why didn't he bring on Yako Mate on a right wing earlier? You've got to remember who was playing right wing. Uh, well, people put two and two together there. Um, Omar, where on earth has this form come from? Prior to this five-game winning streak, Millwall had only won back-to-back games twice this season. But here we are. The Lions have suddenly sprung to life. Yeah, I mean, I think five games ago, if you told me this would happen, I mean, I would definitely not be believing it and question what sort of substances people will be on if they're saying that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre. I mean, I'm not quite sure where it's come from, if I'm honest. We've had injuries all around the pitch and I think we've only got, out of all the outfield players, only Billy Mitchell's the only one not to be injured this season. So we've had injuries through the whole squad to almost every single player, which is a remarkable stat. And it's kind of... I mean, every time I come on this show, it feels like it's always been doom and gloom. But suddenly we're sitting here, you know, injuries to Bradshaw, Ojo, you know, Freeman, Burke, you know, our forward line basically obliterated. And suddenly we've locked onto a good formation, a good setup, and backs against the wall, typical middle, and seems to be doing all right now. <laughs> well, how do you rate your playoff chances? Because three points off as we speak, are you feeling hopeful? I mean, whilst you're churning the performances out, you just got to keep going, I suppose. And I mean, the the ambition always is to be in and around it, I suppose. And realistically speaking, probably not. But whilst we're winning and, you know, not being quite, you know, secure at the back, you've got to kind of fancy it. And I think it's crucial on Tuesday. We've got Blackburn and we've got Middlesbrough Saturday. So it's a big, big week for us. And who knows what could happen. Mm. It's amazing how Millwall haven't been in the conversation for the playoffs all season. But all it takes is a run like you've been on something becomes a real possibility. Omar and Ian, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. 
Justin and I are now going to take you listener on a trip around the grounds and we'll begin with Preston, who scored an 89th minute winner to beat Bournemouth 2-1. Joining us now is John Spark from the Bournemouth YouTube channel, Cherries Red Army. John, a disappointing result for the Cherries. Yeah, it was a very disappointing result, but at the same time, it's not as though that wasn't coming. Uh, the previous four wins out of four very much hid the actual performances that most fans thought they were seeing from the side. A number of players maybe you could argue weren't performing, but at the same time, this seems to be sort of the combination of what Parker wants his team to play like. But at the same time, when you come against certain styles of teams where Preston was incredibly effective at build, putting in a low block and just trying to counter us, there seemed to be no real answer as to how to get past them. Uh, and that's not the first time that's happened this season. The exact same thing happened last time we played Preston and he didn't seem to learn his lesson. There are a number of very talented players in that squad. And right now, they seem to be suffocated somewhat. Yeah, what's the general consensus around Scott Parker? I know fans have had question marks over the course of the season. That's quite a tricky question to answer at the moment, I think, because it really could hang on whether we get promoted or not. Now, I think we probably will at this point. We've got such an advantage. But when there are games like the Preston game, when there are other ones, when you think of our inability to play down Blackburn earlier in the season and other times where we just haven't beaten teams we would expect to beat, it's because his system is so reliant on particular movements and trying to create perfect opportunities and that is not always going to work and when you come up against teams like Preston the football isn't entertaining it's not effective and we've been kind of lucky over the years with Eddie Howe that regardless of the result regardless of what happened you were always entertained and you were pretty much always going to get a goal and that's just not happening at the moment it's not fun to watch most of the time and that is causing a lot of friction within the fan base because it's not effective and it's not fun. And John, if I had to get you to give a percentage chance that Bournemouth get promoted this season, what would you say that percentage is? I'd probably still give it maybe, I mean, 80, maybe even higher, 80 to 90% chance of going up um, just because of the advantage that we're in at the moment in terms of games in hand. Yes, we've dropped behind Huddersfield now, but we've got four games in hand on them, um, which starts with Peter on Tuesday. So I certainly expect us to pick up enough points and there are games like, um, you know, Forest uh, draw against Sheffield United where others are going to are gonna um, fall short. So I'm still confident we'll go up, but with the way things are going at the moment, I have very little confidence that we'll be staying in the Premier League for anything longer than a year. Thank you, John. Yeah, Justin, this was a disappointing result, really, wasn't it? Going from a goal up and then conceding a late goal that late on is not what you expect from Bournemouth. But as John mentioned there, they haven't been playing particularly well despite winning three or four games on the trot. Yeah, we, we've said this about Bournemouth and Scott Parker in general, actually. They've, they've got a lot, a lot of good individuals. And have they really hit the heights as a collective yet? Probably not. Obviously, they've only had those players in for a month, those new players that came in in January. But at the same time, they've they've not really convinced since that spell between August and October. Um, and, and Bournemouth worry me a lot. The, the data shows that they create good chances, which is fine. They've got good players, they'll do that. But they concede a lot of high-quality chances as well. And they were, that early defensive form um, in, earlier on in the season is, is a distant memory. And, they just need to be more ruthless with their defensive shape and get back to that. And that's why the likes of Huddersfield are in contention for that top two, because they can defend. If Bournemouth continue the way they are, they've got no chance of finishing the automatics. 
We mentioned the automatics. They've now dropped out of the top two, but have got four games in hand on the Terriers, who are just a point ahead of them. Do you think this result has opened up the race for the top two, Justin? I think it has because it highlights a lot of um, frailties that Bournemouth have defensively. As I'm saying, they don't defend well enough throughout the whole game. Um, they don't control games either. And I think there's a lot of issues that need to be ironed out by Scott Parker. Um, and as I say, good teams that defend well, they will finish in the automatics. Fulham have got a very, very good balance, but they're very good. Um, and Huddersfield have found that defensive um, that defensive niche that is that's pushed them up into second place. That's why they're in second because they can defend really, really well. Bournemouth just haven't been anywhere near that level since since the autumn. I find it too. I find it hard to get too excited just yet. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want to race for the top two, don't we? And I think every other neutral championship fan does as well because it will be interesting. I don't really care who goes up as long as we've got some sort of race for the rest of the season. The one thing I'm holding on to that we will have a race for the top two is that Bournemouth have that horrible run of games, don't they? Exactly. At the end of the season. Mm. The issue is there aren't a big queue of sides who are looking like they can sustain a strong challenge. Personally, I think a lot of it depends on how many results Bournemouth bugger up in the next few weeks. <laughs> uh, the next three home games are against Peterborough, Derby and Reading, all at home. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you could handpick the games that you've got next, that's not too far off, is it? So that should be nine points. But this is the championship. Plenty of twists and turns to be had. Quick word on Preston, Justin. They're ticking over quite nicely, aren't they? They've only lost twice since Ryan Lowe was appointed in early December. Bizarrely, one of those losses was against Reading. Weird how it happens. But Cameron Archer, baby, was on the score sheet again. What a boy. Oh, he's, he's, he's a good finisher, isn't he? And we, we've spoken about him at length quite a few times, but he's, he's showing what he's capable of. And I hope that he gets an opportunity next season for a full season to um, <clears throat> to stay at Preston. Because as I say, in that front two, in that sort of 3-5-2 formation, he's really effective. And when you've got the likes of Jakobsen as well, who's scored another late winner, by the way. That's a, yeah, another another late winner from the, from the day. Um they're, they're, they're just a very good team, a very good young team. And yeah, Rhino's getting a lot out of them. Um, and he's playing some really good foundations ahead of next season. Really, really excited for, for Preston at the moment. With Cameron Archer, I, I was talking to a couple of Preston fans the other day and I think they were saying the same as me, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to a top championship side next season. I think Preston would <laughs> love to have him back, but I think they'll do well to keep hold of him for next season because he's been... Sterling so far hasn't he and I think a few top championship signs will be looking at how he's done and take a lot of interest in mm. it um, what a save by the way by Daniel Everson well that was glorious that was save of the season Justin we've had quite a few in recent weeks haven't we Actually, Lee Nichols has got his own highlights reel of, of saves of the season I think it's a good save from Daniel Everson but I'd be asking a lot of questions if he didn't save that um, I think it's not necessarily the save actually the fact that he, that he claws it away from oncoming traffic shall we say um, I think that was the highlight of it but yeah I'd be asking questions if he didn't save it yeah that, that's how I base my saves on mm-hmm. is he if it goes in would you be pointing fingers at him and I, I can see where you're coming from but he's still still done very well oh, yeah. to claw it away like that let's talk Huddersfield Justin they beat Peterborough 3-0 pretty much as comfortable as it gets really Peterborough didn't manage a single shot on target until the 93rd minute everyone keeps saying how are Huddersfield seconds but that's what happens when you're unbeaten in 16 games yeah I think they've got the longest run in Europe or world football I couldn't quite find the the source of the um the article that I saw but it was something ridiculous that they've got the longest unbeaten running in, in in football at the moment which 
nonetheless, the unbeaten run that they've got is absolutely incredible. And um, what's got them there, as I was saying with the, the Bournemouth game, is, is their ability to defend. And what, what impressed me about this game is this was the sort of game that you could easily get complacent in. You could take your foot off the gas. But they hit Peterborough hard. They hit Peterborough early. Um, and and Corbran, that's something Corbran praised in his post-match presses, the fact that um, yeah, they, they, they went into uh, Peterborough very, very quickly. And ultimately, that's what got them a win. Quick-fire double um, in the first 10 minutes. And the game's already away from Peterborough. You can then play how you want to play. You can dictate the game, which, again, is the mark of a good side. So after this weekend, how are you rating Huddersfield's A, playoff chances, and B, their top two chances? They'll get in the playoffs. I've maintained that they'll get in the playoffs. They're too good a defensive team not to get in the playoffs. Um, you've got a yeah. You do, I would question um, their attack at times, whether or not their their attack can do it consistently enough over the next um, however many games they've got ten ten or so games left. So yeah, I, I'd question their attack, but defensively they're they're good enough to get into the playoffs. Um, automatics they're relying on Bournemouth dropping points, so it's very much an outside chance. But as I was saying. Defensively, they're incredible. Um, defensive, if you're good defensively, <laughs> it's going to be harder to lose games. So, I, I quite fancy Huddersfield to at least put a lot of pressure on Bournemouth, and I'd be very nervous. I'd, I'd be very nervous as a Bournemouth fan um, if I was them. Yeah, I think the top two is a bit of a stretch, but we can definitely put pressure on Bournemouth, can't they? And personally, I am coming around to the idea of Huddersfield finishing in the top six. I'd say that. That now can be classed as likely. And if I were to write down who will finish in the top six, then I would include Huddersfield, although my top six is changing on a weekly basis at the moment. <laughs> so I don't know how much that actually means. I wouldn't say they're nailed on for the playoffs, despite them <clears throat> going this long unbeaten. I've got this nagging thing in my head that says that has that has, you know, sides ranked higher than them. Um, it's worth saying they have got to play five of the top ten in the next 10 games, next seven games, I should say, sorry. Um, and I think those fixtures will define the season. Um, obviously, they've been on a marvellous unbeaten run. Will it last? I'd be surprised if it went on to the end of the season. So they're going to drop points at some point. Um, and with this tricky run of games they got, probably will be during that. Quick word on Peterborough Justin. They're eight points from safety. Grant McCann still yet to register a point since taking over. I think their chances of staying up are dwindling quite rapidly aren't they well I, I would have ruled them out in sort of October time and my mind hasn't been changed at all they've not they've not convinced and this is no sort of uh, it's, it's no criticism of Grant McCann because he's, he's got to sweep up a, a massive mess left behind by both the Peterborough board and, and um, Darren Ferguson because the change should have been made in October it would have given Peterborough a fighting chance because they'd have recruited for a new manager in in January as well. So there's a lot that there's a lot that needs to be said um, from from Peterborough from the ownership point of view. I think that's where it's where the problems lie. Um, that's that's the reason why they're in this mess. The decision making has been too slow. Let's stick with the relegation battle for a sec, Justin. There was a big six-pointer between Derby and Barnsley. It finished 2-0 to the Rams, thanks to a brace from Ravel Morrison. Prior to this game, he hadn't scored a league goal since 2014. So what a way to end that drought, particularly with that first goal, Justin. Talk me through that. It was it was a brilliant goal, and I think I've seen some of the replays and they don't they don't show enough of the um they don't show enough of the goal. It, it starts with Ravel, Mo Ravel Morrison passing it back to uh, I can't remember who was uh, passing it back. Maybe Max Bird on the edge of the Derby area, and just one touch passing all the way through. A little bit of a dummy from Morrison, 
Plange, I thought Plange should have taken a shot. Obviously, he was quite fortunate the ball landed to him and it wasn't cleared by the Barnsley defender. But uh, yeah, I thought he should have shot. But then the chip was was sublime from Morrison. I think Morrison actually said that he was convinced there was an offside, which is why he chipped it. So basically, he was prattling around um, because he thought it wasn't <laughs> he thought he wasn't going to stand, uh, which is even more even more brilliant. But he's got. A lot of ability around Morrison. He's a player that I have enjoyed this season. His dipping form in the middle of the season was was apparent, but he's sort of the first ten or twelve games he was brilliant for Derby. And obviously there's that drop off, and he, and, he, and he's recovered that form again because he's been very very good in the last three or four games. Yeah, that that the, the goal itself. Yeah, I completely agree with what you were saying that the replays that we've seen on social media don't go back far enough because it does start. The build-up play before that is brilliant, mm-hmm. isn't it? The way they've done triangles all the way up the pitch. Um, the the ones who want to shit on everyone's parade will point out that Plange was actually offside. I think yeah, his foot was. was offside. VAR mm-hmm. probably would have given it off. But, I mean, come on. He, he's in line pretty much, isn't he? And it's a beautiful goal. Don't let the technicalities of it take away from how <laughs> beautiful it was. I mean, he, even if it was just Morrison... Let, letting the ball run through to plunge and then him doing the one-two. That would have been beautiful in itself, but the build-up play up to that point was mm-hmm. brilliant in itself. Um, but yeah, Morrison has had a bit of a stop-start season, hasn't he? But he seemed to play a bit further forward here as a number 10, and he was yeah. exceptional. He was really, really good. It wouldn't surprise me if he played there a bit more often. Um, but I, I, in this game, I was quite taken aback by how comfortable it was for Derby Justin, considering Barnsley looked to have found a new lease of life, three wins in four prior to this game. A win here for them would have probably put to bed one of your relegation rivals, but they didn't really show up, did they? They didn't. I think the only sort of players you can give any credit to is Domingos Keener and um, Carlton Morris. I think Carlton Morris, Barnsley's only really good chance of the game came from him making it himself in the first half. Arguably, maybe should have put it away, but at the same time... Confidence might not be sky high, but yeah, they're the only two players that can come out with any credit because they yeah they just looked a mess. The midfield too um, were really really poor. They let Derby walk straight through the midfield at times. I mean, the first goal was a key example of that. Just literally just waltz through with one touch passing. They were nowhere near Derby in the press. They were nowhere near um, nowhere near Derby in the game, which, as he says, is a surprise coming off the back of uh, a big win against Middlesbrough last week and perhaps. <laughs> It's going to sound daft, but maybe they should have had a game in midweek. They might have been a little bit more up for it. They've had a, a week to, to not dwell on it, but to train. And Sometimes I think a week break is just isn't uh, good for continuity. And I think that might have done some damage, more damage to Barnsley than uh, perhaps a rest might have, uh, might have helped. Well, it's a result which has opened up the relegation battle, particularly with Reading losing again. The pendulum continues to swing rapidly down at the bottom, <laughs> Justin. What are you thinking now then with... Who's in the uh, who's in the battle to stay up? I still think Reading are in the driving seat. Um, Paul Lintz makes me nervous, and I think every Reading fan should be nervous of Paul Lintz as their manager. Um, but at the same time, if, if Barnsley put in more performances like that, um, I said last week, if they don't build upon that result against Bar- uh, Borough, then it's pointless uh, in a way. And they they didn't manage that, and, and Derby. Again, Derby have got to find consistency, which is very difficult for teams that are down there. So I still think Reading are in the driving seat because they've got that point gap um, and they've got a game in hand on, on on Derby as well. I'd say the big advantage that Derby got have got is that they're, they're the only team out of the bottom four mm. who have managed to get some momentum this season and build upon it. 
And I think that's what will decide this relegation battle. Can Barnsley build upon the three wins they've had? Can Reading get out of this rut they found themselves in again? Can Derby build upon this win? Right now, I think the ball's in Derby's court because they've shown that a win can spot them into life across the course of the season. And who goes down will ultimately depend on which of the three sides finds any momentum. If neither of them finds any momentum, then Reading will stay up by default. Mm. But at the moment, I think... I'd still say Derby are the ones who can get themselves out of it. But back to the race for the playoffs then, just in a gigantic game on Friday night, so Sheffield United and Forest draw one all. Forest equalising in the 95th minute. It's the eighth time this season they've scored an injury time. They don't give up this Forest side, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. And again, you've got to you've got to um, you've got to praise the belief that Steve Cooper's instilled into the team because first six of the games that were completely hopeless, you could have easily seen them going down. Um, but as I say, Steve Cooper's just turned things around both on the pitch and off the pitch because the mentality to keep going isn't an easy mentality to to drill into your players. So yeah, massive massive kudos to the team, and I think. I think as well as the the, the late equaliser, I thought Forest were very very good against Sheffield United. I was quite impressed. I thought they were marginally the better side as well. Obviously, they had the penalty um, that was missed, but yeah, really really good performance from Forest. Just disappointing that they weren't able to get the three points. Yeah, I completely agree. I think on the balance of the game, it would have been harsh for Forest to leave this game with absolutely nothing. Mm. When in another universe, they probably would have got all three points here. But yeah, you, you mentioned the first half penalty. Brennan Johnson hit it straight at West Fodringham. is strange because you don't see it very often. But uh, that was a big let off for Sheffield United. Um, since Steve Cooper was appointed in September, Forest have only lost four games. And it's quite remarkable, really, that they're not in the top six right now, but I suppose it shows how much damage a bad start can do. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and you don't really take into account sort of the first six games, first eight games of a season, do you? You sort of take it for granted, oh, not picking up points, that's fine, we'll recover at some point. But it does go to show that if if even Forrest just picked up a couple of wins, they'd, they'd be in the top six. Um, that's the difference. That's how that's how tight things are this season. So, yeah, massive shame that um, <laughs> Steve Cooper wasn't in charge earlier on the season. But you can't really get much earlier, can you, than, than September, other than start of the season. So, yeah, I think a lot of positives for Forrest. I'd be surprised. I would be surprised if they get in the playoffs. But nonetheless, you can't take away from the building blocks that are in place for Forrest. Cause you've got to be excited for the future, nonetheless, wherever you end up. Well, if they won this game, then they would have been ahead of Sheffield United, who were just a point outside the top six with this result. They would have been in the top six had they won the game. Where are you thinking with the Blades right now, Justin? Because it is a, a draw and a loss after they were beaten by Millwall last weekend. I'm not so fussed with the result. It's just the performances. The last three performances, even going back to that um, Blackburn win, I, I just think they haven't been quite at it. Um, I think that's the thing that worries me. And I know they've got injuries up top. They are looking a little bit more blunt, um, obviously relying a lot on Billy Sharp. They need to get Olympic Bernie back in form, which we've mentioned before in the last couple of weeks on the uh, in previous episodes. Yeah, just, just massively. I'm not massively worried. I'm just slightly concerned at the performances for Sheffield United. As I say, conceding a lot of chances um, and not creating too many themselves, that's uh, the main worry. David McGoldrick being out for the season is also an issue and not having a a fully fit right wing back again does give me concerns because the, the wing backs are so important to this system in place by Heckingbottom. They've got Middlesbrough in midweek as well, which is shaping up to be a massive game. In <laughs> fact, they're in the midst of a big run of games right now, aren't they? Forrest being one of them as well. Then they've got Coventry next weekend. So you, I, I'm still 
pretty confident that Sheffield United will get into the top six. But I do agree with you, they haven't been exactly smashing teams out of the way like they were a few weeks ago. Uh, let's have a break just enough that we'll talk about wins for Fulham and a win for West Brom finally. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, Justin, don't you hate it when it's a Saturday afternoon and you can't go to a game, but you want to watch it? It's a real nightmare. But my friend, there is a solution. Ooh, what's the solution, Ryan? Well, have you heard of NordVPN? I haven't. What is what is NordVPN? <laughs> so convincing. NordVPN is the gift that keeps on giving. With NordVPN, you can change your virtual location on your laptop or whichever device you want to use. Change your virtual location and then watch your side wherever you are in the world. It's not just football. You can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or other streaming platforms content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for it to be released in the UK. Also, when you're out and about, NordVPN protects you from disgusting hackers when you're using unsecure public Wi-Fi. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by heading to nordvpn.com and using the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs less than a pint, so you may as well give it a try, might you? Fulham 2, Blackburn nil. Fulham pretty dominant here I suppose you could say at least for Blackburn it wasn't as bad as the last time they played for them yeah just a just a nine goals conceded on aggregate um <laughs> and arguably Fulham probably slightly better going forward in this game created some really good chances just obviously not taking them not as efficient in front of goal as they were in that uh, away fixture but yeah really dominant performance from from Fulham obviously by far the, the superior team here against Blackburn and fully deserving of the win Maybe could have been slightly different had Kaminsky not, I don't know, parried parried uh, Nico Williams' really really weak shot right mm. into traffic. Could have been a different game because you know Cabano scored quite early, so it just gives Fulham something to defend and something to build on. Um, but yeah, really again, really efficient performance going forwards again from from Fulham. It's pretty much what we say every week now. Yeah, I was looking at how many goals Fulham have scored in the first half of games this season. I think they've got forty. Two or maybe even 44 after this game and the next highest is in the 20s so they start fast and once they score you know you, you're just trying to get anything from the game that you can really aren't you mm -hmm. you're quite right the first goal was full of errors you've got Kaminsky who parries it straight to Niskin's Cabane when he really should have caught it and mm -hmm. just prior to that Blackburn were breaking their neck trying to keep it from going out for a corner and instead inadvertently started the Fulham attack. Um, Harry Wilson scored a very classy goal as well after an equally classy ball from Tosin Adorabayo. That was lovely. Nico mm. Williams hit the crossbar from the halfway line. I think Fulham were just enjoying themselves at, at, towards the end of this game, weren't they? Because it was a bit of a walk in the park, surprisingly. Um, and all in all, just showed their dominance as they continued to cruise to promotion. I was trying to work out when they could be officially promoted, but because all the teams have played differing amounts of games, mm. I found it too difficult to work out, so I just gave up. Uh, but they, it can't be far away now at this point. They're 11 points clear of Huddersfield, who are in second, and have played two games fewer than them. So I think... It's very, very, very safe to say that Fulham will be seeing them in the Premier League next season. I don't think any Blackburn fans were particularly heading into this game with high hopes, Justin. They've got 
Millwall in midweek, which is a big game, but after that, their fixtures begin to ease after a tough few weeks. Where do you stand with Rovers at the minute, Justin? Oh, well, I think in the last episode, I still have, I still had a, a, a bit of a belief that they could still make a mark on the top two. I think that's sort of that's gone a little bit now after this this defeat. Um, and I think they've got to they've just got to solidify themselves in the playoffs. I think that's the the main aim. And obviously, if they can get anywhere close to finishing near the top two, then that chance can stay alive for as long as possible. But I think with them lacking options, especially in uh, in the striking department, that's gonna that's gonna really impact them and affect them because I think they in this game especially they lacked they lacked a, not a target but a, a player that has the ability to hold the ball up. I know Gallagher came on, but again he's two 0 down at that point. It's very difficult for you to get back into it. So maybe could have added in January in that area in hindsight, but still, yeah, probably playoffs for for Blackburn. Still confident they'll get in the playoffs. I, I am very confident they'll get in the playoffs. They've got too many good players to to, to fall out. They've got the depth they needed, um, and other than this game, they they do create chances, which is a yeah, as we've said before, as I'll say every week, is a very good habit to to, to have. Fair enough. In the Steve Bruce derby between Hull and West Brom, West Brom finally won. Two goals from Colin Grant saw them win two nil. Wasn't completely straightforward. Sam Johnston was kept busy in the Albion goal, but. Imagine being Steve Bruce, Justin, and the relief from finally getting three points on the board. Yes, it's a, it's a massive result, massive result, and it's a clean sheet as well, which is equally as important because West Brom have been hopeless in both at both ends of the pitch of late. Um, but yeah, it's a huge, huge win. Obviously, as you say, Hull had their chances, but there was some there were some really good moments here for West Brom. You look at the, the the first goal from Carl and Grant, for example, Alex Mowat picking the ball up on the right side and putting that cross in. That is peak Alex Mowat. You're getting him in those positions and putting uh, balls in from deep and you've got four to get on the end of them. You're going to have a chance to score. Um, so you need to get him in those positions more often. Taylor Gardner-Hitman, really, 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 uh, I don't know why I said really three times, but he was, he was fantastic in the game. Just emphasising how good he was and I don't know why Steve Bruce hasn't played him more often, to be honest with you. Yeah, he was the player who stood out for me. West Brom fans have been begging to see more of him, particularly in midfield. He played there and was the best player on the park for me. Won the penalty, added a lot of energy and creativity. I have liked him every time I've seen him. I think we spoke about him earlier in the season, didn't we? But he was in and out of the team under Ishmael. Hasn't had a look in yet, really, under Bruce. But you'd imagine this was the kind of performance that would see him stay in the side. The thing is, as well, let's be honest, West Brom's season is over, isn't it? So you may as well start building for next season and give players like Gardner Hickman a chance. So he needs to play more and this showing should make that happen. Should. But we'll wait and see. Steve Bruce went with the back three, which is something he hasn't really done so far. Obviously, Valor and Ishmael swore by it. They at least seemed a bit more functional going forwards, which I suppose is due to them having more... Um, width from the wing-backs pushing forward a bit more instead of having Dara O'Shea playing right-back, which is something that Spruce has tried to do in the last couple of games. Any other observations on this game, Justin? Uh, I'd argue that the penalty maybe should have been a, a free kick. Um, I think, again, a 1-0, the game can change in Hall's favour. I think the foul started outside the area, but that's just me nitpicking. I think Hall were quite poor and they've been very unconvincing at home uh, all season, actually, and they're a team that could be nervously looking over their shoulder maybe so see what someone said this to me the other day they said they don't think Hall's out of it yet but surely a gap of 13 points Justin <clears throat> with 10 games to go surely that's too big a gap isn't it 
Yeah, but you, you think about it. If, if Hull lose three games on the trot and Derby win three games on the trot and, and Reading as well, that just that drags Hull right right into it, doesn't it? It's, the it issue is, take... can you see Reading winning three games on the trot right now? I can't. I can see Derby winning three games on the trot at some point. Um, and obviously Hull's home form is absolutely hopeless. I would just be very nervous that they could get dragged back into it. But they are relying on teams below them picking up points, which they haven't done consistently enough of late. But at the same time, as I say, uh, squeaky bum time, I think. I think I honestly think if Hull went the rest of the season without winning a game, they'd still be safe, just because mm. the teams below them have struggled for points all season, um, apart from Derby, obviously, which circumstances we know about. Uh, let's move on. QPR's for poor form continues. They were beaten 2-1 at home to Cardiff. The match winners... Well, the Bluebirds were two straight out of the academy. Ruben Colwell with a stunning free kick. Someone we have mentioned before. The other was Isaac Davis, who we haven't spoken about as much, but looks a very handy player, Justin. Yeah, he's doing really well in the system um, that Steve Morrison's got. And I think deploying him alongside the likes of Hugo or Ick Piazza is, is getting the best out of him because <clears throat> because he's able to run off run off them and um, and get at players, which he's very, he's very, very good at. Um, I think i go back to that game where Steve Morrison brought him on as a sub then took him off and at that point for some players it's very hard to recover from but Isaac Davis has been brilliant since that moment and he's really really bounced back and then you've got to give Steve Morrison credit for that it might have might may or may not have worked with Max Watters but it's worked with Isaac Davis I um, I like how after this game there were loads of pictures of Colwell and Davis <laughs> when they were kids because they're childhood friends um, so both of them getting on the score sheet here it's like it's like something out of a storybook but then Later on, they'll turn on each other and grow bitter because they're both trying to get better uh, than the other one. Um, so I'm looking forward to that happening in the next few years. Um, anyway, I, back to the point. I hope that Cardiff will use this summer as one where they revolutionise the squad because you only have to look at the latest accounts to know that things aren't great financially at the club. And there are a lot of high earners who aren't earning what they deserve. So get rid of them. Some will have been at the club for a long time, but it's time to say goodbye to that era and say hello to a new era with young players like Davis, Colwell, Wintle, NG. Um, obviously, they'll still have a couple of experienced players on the books, but build for the future. And that way you'll be saving money for a start, but also giving youngsters a chance. Do you know what I mean, Justin? Yeah, I, I do agree. <clears throat> it is a massive, massive task for Cardiff. Because obviously, you've got to move on those high earners. You've got to recruit basically a new squad um, but as well as that you can't rely on the likes of Colwell, Davis, Harris um, you can't rely on them to, to deliver the goods on a consistent basis next season either because they're still young they're still learning the trade so you've got to pack that squad full of players with experience as well um, so it is a massive job at, at Cardiff but Steve Morrison I think he's, he's turned around massively and having him in charge and being able to plan for the long term is, is going to help them massively yeah and even if the next season isn't particularly successful but they you know try and go with this philosophy of playing young players mm -hmm. then it will work out in the long term I can guarantee that but talk about teams right now Justin QPR one win in seven for them Mark Warburton was furious with his players after this game, saying they were playing at a testimonial pace, which is uh, worrying. The fact is, they had a nice cushion on the teams outside of the playoffs, didn't they? But that's been eroded away. And they're a team in the top six now. They're out of form. While there are a line of sides outside the top six who are in form. And that's not a good place to be, is it? 
No, and I think that the thing that worried me as well, I don't think QPR were too bad in the first half. I thought they were actually pretty good going forwards. Um, obviously, going 1-0 up as well helped. Um, and second half, they didn't show up, conceded a, a bit of a freak goal. Obviously, that Isaac Davis goal looping in over David Marshall after he made a save is is quite unfortunate, but they never recovered. And I think that's the thing that, that worries me. They weren't able to bounce back and the momentum swung completely in Cardiff's favour and, and the game was com- just just completely away from, from QPR at that point. Clean sheets are a distant memory. I don't think they've kept one since December now. Um, and, and the goals are starting to dry up and then you've got forwards that are completely out of form. Uh, yeah, it's just a combination of bad things um, that, have, that have happened at the same at time. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. And it, it, as I say, it is worrying when you've got um, those teams who are in form on the outside of outside of the uh, top six. Um, Seni Dieng, I think, is might be out for the season now. He's definitely injured and he's going to miss uh, quite a while, uh, be out for quite a while. So that's a problem. Elias Chair's n- not really had the impact <coughs> that he was having earlier in the season since coming back from AFCON. A lot of issues for QPR. and They need to turn it around soon, don't they? Otherwise, they will fall out of the top six um, and will end up being a distant memory in very, very soon if things don't um, sort themselves out. Final little fact on this game, Alex Smithies, David Marshall, both in goal for this game, Justin, both playing against their former clubs, and it was both their birthdays yesterday. Yeah, I saw that start, and I think that is freaky universe stuff, isn't it? That is completely bizarre. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a great start. Swansea 3, Coventry 1, a result which I would say is a bit of a hammer blow to Coventry's hopes of getting in the top six now, Justin. Yeah, it was. It was a bad day at the office for for Cov. Um, I think there was quite a few opportunities where they in front of they were in front of goal and they, and they faltered. And then the way they defended the the Swansea goals were really really poor. I think I, I go to that third uh, Oba, uh, third goal for Swansea, the one that Obafemi put away, um, and the ball that comes from midfield. So much time to just pick the pass out for Obafemi to run in behind on. So so easy for Swansea at times. And I think that's the the frustrating thing for Cov is they were just nowhere near. Uh, the level that they've set themselves this season. I think one of the issues they've got is where the goals are coming from. You've got Victor Jokerez, who, as we know, has blown hot and cold this season. Mm-hmm. Matty Godden, who's been in and out of the treatment room throughout the season. Both of, uh, both of them have got double figures for goals. The next highest scorer has three. If they mm-hmm. add just one other player who's chipping in with goals on a consistent basis, then you're talking about an extra handful of points, which could have proven to be crucial because they're only four points off the playoffs now. They probably will be in the playoffs if they had those extra few goals. And four points off the playoffs doesn't sound like much, but when you consider you've got a whole host of teams vying for them ahead of Coventry at the table who are also in better form, it's difficult to see Coventry top six happening at this point, isn't it, unfortunately? But it's still been a remarkable season for the Sky Blues. Back-to-back wins for Swansea now, only the third time that's happened this season. Michael Obafemi has scored in each of Swansea's last three home games, so he's starting to find a bit of form for the Swans. Bristol City 1, Birmingham 2. The big headline here was Tariff Chong's back for Blues. This was his first start since October, and he showed Blues fans what they'd been missing instantly, scoring in just two minutes. How different... Do you reckon Birmingham's season would have been with Chong fully fit throughout? I think it could have been a fair bit different, maybe mid-table. But yeah, consider the injuries they've had defensively, it was always going to be difficult for for Birmingham City. And again, I think they miss a forward um, that can consistently put chances away. I think, again, the injuries have, have impacted the forward department. So yeah, if Chong stays fit for the majority of the season, 
Crikey, yeah, they they they'd be in a much better position. But as I say, I think other departments have let them let them down, uh, or other positions have let them down. Well, speaking of the defensive problems, they had 19-year-old Nico Gordon scored on his professional league debut for Birmingham. He's a centre-half, um, so a nice moment for him. A bit of a surprise result, really, isn't this, Justin? Because only Birmingham's second away win since August. I didn't realise how poor their away form was, but yeah, shocking. Um, while Bristol City have been, by and large, pretty good at home recently, haven't they? They've had to have been because their away form has been dismal as well so yeah not a good result for Bristol City three losses on the trot now for them and then the final game from the weekend Blackpool won 1-0 away at Stoke guess who scored for Blackpool that's right Josh Bowler again six goals in eight games now and he just seems to be getting better and better Justin Uh, he's a very good player I like him a lot a lot of championship teams like him it's a shame he's not got a three-year deal because could quite easily fetch 10 15 million pounds he's got that ability he's got that starring ability with the ball at his feet and he's showing that he can add numbers to his game as well when you look at the, there are a lot of players in division who have got that ability as well Callum O'Hare one that comes to mind but he's he's struggled to add goals and assists to his game Josh Bowler has done that in the last six or seven weeks he's been absolutely brilliant and yeah this this team this Blackpool team young hungry team really excited for them in the future uh, for the future and I think yeah they they could surprise quite a few again next season for me the issue is with Bowler the more he scores the less likely it is that Blackpool are actually going to be <laughs> able to hold on to him in the summer but on the other hand I suppose it's adding a bit more value onto his price mm. tag each time he scores isn't it Stoke meanwhile winless in five now right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and Derby's administrators have forecast that the club has enough funds to last until the end of the season. It's as they continue to decide who the preferred bidder of the club will be. This confused me, Justin, because not long ago I thought we were told Derby only had about two months left before the money ran out. But now that's apparently not an issue until May at least. This mixed messages has been mixed messages since Derby went into administration. So I'm not really surprised that... <laughs> no one's got a clue really uh, from outside the administrators anyway um, it helps that they've sold pretty much the whole youth department the future of the football club is exciting because the players are coming through the first team but all the 15 and 16 year olds uh, have been sold and obviously there's another player that's on their way out to, to the MLS which I think you might move on to now not now but we will do in a sec <laughs> um, yeah very strange I, I, how they forecast that they've got enough money for that I'm not too sure how that works but the EFL have said it's fine, so all right then. There's been a lot of financial news from different clubs this week. The most notable was from Stoke, who posted losses of £56 million last season, which is a big number, Justin. When you talk about clubs who are running close to the edge, Stoke is certainly one of those sides, aren't they? Yeah, uh, and this is this is where I have a lot of concerns because Derby were posting similar losses. Their owner pulled the money out and they went into administration. Now I'm not saying Stokes owners will do the same thing, but let's you know, let's speak completely figuratively, let's make up a scenario. The owners stop funding Stoke Stoke stuff then, aren't they? They don't have a long term strategy in place that can sustain them off the pitch. Um it's all about offer it has been in the past offering high fees and high wages to players who aren't going to fetch high fees back because, as I say, that the value, the, the salon fee value isn't there. Um, is it going to be a wake-up call for championship clubs? No, I think the attitudes of owners is absolutely atrocious. And as fans of those clubs, 
I think you've got to start asking questions because it's a lot of money being spent and not getting anything back. The thing is with Stoke as well, how many sellable assets have they actually got? Who could they sell in the summer to make money? I mean, Tyrese Campbell was the one before, wasn't he? But obviously having that injured, he's not really hit the ground running since coming back from injury, has he? So he was one who you would have looked at before and hoped he would be fetching a big fee. Probably not now. Harry Souter was the one who was being linked with plenty of Premier League clubs, but no one's going to pay any money for him after he's missed most of the season for injury, are they? Mm -hmm. So who else is there? So if you're a Stoke side who are looking to get funds, where are you going to get those funds from apart from just you know, chopping the wage bill as much as possible in the summer. So yeah, it is concerning for Stoke, definitely. Elsewhere, Forest's day-to-day losses were 34 million last season. Cardiff's debt stood at 109 million last season with owner Vincent Tan having increased his loans to the club. It's mouth-watering figures, isn't it, really, Justin? It's it's eye-watering, I should say, not mouth-watering. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's worrying, isn't it? You've got all these clubs who have just... Give, giving money away if this was any other business than a football club you'd be saying put it down yeah you would it's yeah, just going through the numbers eh, it just it just makes me wince i've had a lot of flack from supporters of clubs uh over the last sort of seven or eight weeks because i've been banging the same drum you know bristol city fans middlesbrough fans the, the losses just are not sustainable um and derby are a very good example of it that's that's the way it can go it's that's the way it can go for a lot of clubs and, and fans as i say You've got to ask questions. You've got to campaign for fan representation on boards so there's more clarity and more transparency on things that are happening behind the scenes because as football, as supporters, we just don't have enough idea, as I say, as to what is going on because if my club continuously posts posts losses of 30 or £40 million and that owner then stops funding your club, the club will not exist for very long. It's simple as that. Yeah, the, the stark matter of the fact is that there won't there will be another club in the next two or three seasons who goes mm-hmm. into administration derby won't be the last so it's worrying times um, and plenty of clubs are posting worrying figures after the past week or so transfer news now luton have signed west brom keeper alex palmer on an emergency loan it's because jed steer and james shea are both injured derby winger camel yosriak is leaving he's moving to an unnamed mls side i think charlotte fc were the mm-hmm. reported team who are getting him the fees reported to be around a million pounds he was signed two years ago for three million quid so that's ended up being a big old flop hasn't it justin yeah it has he's a player that i've i've long thought oh he's going to do it this week he's going to do it this week and he's it's never quite delivered um so i don't think derby fans will be too unhappy but at the same time it's another body out the door in which derby derby need players on the books um but getting that money as i say is going to help them see out the season as the administrators are forecasted thing is as well he his wages won't have been cheap so i think getting mm. him off the books that will go under the radar but he must be earning what close to 100 grand a month you'd have thought you? 100 grand so, a week <laughs> no no 100 grand a week absolutely not 100 grand a month. <laughs> yeah 100 grand a month that when you put it like that is a lot of money to get off the books yeah. for someone who hasn't really played much for your side this season. Goal.com says Tottenham are the favourites to sign Jed Spence this summer. The wing-back is on loan at Forest from Middlesbrough. There's plenty of reported interest in the 21-year-old, including from Italy and Germany with Bayern Munich. Says to be one of those monitoring him. Middlesbrough must be loving life because it looks like they're going to get an eight-figure sum for someone who hasn't been in their plans this season. But do you think Spence is ready for the top level, Justin? It's really hard to say. His performances in the FA Cup would 
make you think he is. But at the same time, it's a big old jump. And you look at Ryan Sessegnon, for example, it was one of the best players to have come out the the AFL and he's struggled with the step up. So, yeah, it's difficult to say, but he's clearly a talented player. There's a lot that he still needs to work on in his game. Um, and obviously going to an elite club is, is going to help that. But whether it's too soon or not, I don't know. But yeah, Middlesbrough, very, very happy, I think. Because they've got Isaiah James as well, who's arguably on par with Jed Spence this season. I think going forward, Spence is ready for the Premier League. It's defensively where I would have concerns. He's, he's a perfectly good player at championship level defensively. But in the Premier League, I fear he may be a bit exposed. But having said that, there are quite a few wing-backs in the, champ- in the Premier League sorry, who are brilliant going forwards and that makes mm-hmm. up for their defensive frailties. So maybe Spence will fall into that category. But he's got all the potential to be a very, very good player. I don't think anyone's denying that, are they? Russell Martin says he would love Cyrus Christie to stay at Swansea. He'll be a free agent in the summer when his deal at Fulham expires. And then final bit of news, Barnsley defender Jordan Williams is set to miss the rest of the season with a knee injury. He's played most of their games but needs to have knee surgery now. Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listener three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the Championship. The first question we posed the listeners, Justin, was this. Which of these teams is most likely to finish in the top six? Blackburn, Middlesbrough, Forest or QPR? Blackburn, Middlesbrough, Forest. Uh, I'll go Blackburn. 24% 24% of people said Blackburn, 49% of people said Middlesbrough, so they were the winners of the poll by quite a distance. QPR, 19%. Forest, 8%. Which of these is the best number 10 in the championship? John Swift, Chris Willock, Jed Wallace, Jamie Patterson. Uh, firstly, Jed Wallace is not a number 10. Uh, Jamie Patterson, I'm, I'm really hung between... Yeah, so he's not number 10. Um, Jamie Patterson, I'm deliberating between Jamie Patterson and John Swift, but John Swift's numbers this season have been ridiculous for a very poor team, so I'll go John Swift. How is a man playing as a number 10? Does it make him a number 10? It's not a number 10. He's a winger. He's not a number 10, Ryan. Like, but he's been, he's been playing there for most of the season, so I'm, I don't see the logic behind that. Anyway, 44% of people said Chris Willock. 28% said John Swift. 20% said Jed Wallace. 8% said Jamie Patterson. I think Jed, Jed Wallace, for me, he's just done it consistently, um, whether he's a number 10 or not. And finally, what should I have for tea tonight? Roast dinner at McDonald's, something healthy, fatty. <laughs> I'd, I'm going to refuse to answer that. I refuse to indulge your self-importance trying to get people to decide what you have for dinner. And no. I can't figure out what I want for tea, Justin. It's, I'm, I'm, I've got not a hangover, but like a, I'm a bit dehydrated. Um, so I, I'd like something that caters to my minor hangover. But at the same time, I feel like I need to eat something healthy because I'm putting on a bit. Yeah, no, I know that. Um, I, would, I would go for a roast dinner then. Yeah, or maybe something healthy. You can make a roast dinner healthy. Yeah, how do you make a roast in a healthy? Actually, we've, we haven't got time to talk about this. <laughs> right now, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Omar Renane from that Millwall podcast and Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight clubs Lee Tomlin has played for and Omar would say Peterborough, that's one down, and Ian would say Cardiff, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, 
then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So Sam Allardyce has managed a few teams in his time, hasn't he? Can you name me the last eight teams he's managed? Justin Peach, we'll begin with you, my man. We never start on me. Christ. Uh, well, I'll go with the home run here. I'll go with West Brom. Absolutely. Took them down last season in the Premier League. Um, Ian, your go. Bolton. Bolton is the ninth club he's oh. managed. So straight away, Ian Robertson is out. A nightmare start for the team. And so that means it's down to Justin and Omar. You've got seven remaining. Omar, it's your go. Um, Everton, I'm going to go with. He was there for seven months a few years ago. Feels like that was not that long ago, but it's years since he actually managed Everton. Um, Justin, your go. I just need to point out, I absolutely love the confidence that Ian answered there with Bolton. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, if Newcastle, oh, sorry, <laughs> Bolton at the, the ninth, I would have gone with Newcastle. So are you going club teams or just last team, last eight teams he's managed? Just last eight teams he's managed. All right, then I don't think Newcastle fall into that category then. So I'll go with, yeah, Everton. Did we say Everton? Everton. Crystal yeah, Palace then. Everton. Sorry, Crystal Palace. Still suggesting we establish it's the ninth one, so it's the one after. So I think we're good uh, with Newcastle. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know what... Justin just confused me so much with the past sentence that he's just said. But Crystal Palace is correct. He was there for okay. six months in the 2016-17 Premier League season. Omar, your guy. Newcastle. <laughs> Absolutely. He was there for a few months before getting sacked. That's the eighth most recent team oh, okay. he's managed. So you've got four remaining. Um, who just went? Omar, you did. Justin, it's your go. This turned into a nightmare, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, I've completely gone blank now. Sunderland. He was at Sunderland for a bit. Yes. He was there for 10 months and saved them from relegation in 2016. Omar, your go. He was the England manager as well for a little while. He absolutely was. He managed one game in an alternative universe. <laughs> he would have taken England to the 2018 World Cup, but it wasn't to be. You've got two remaining then, chaps. Um, Justin, your go. You're pulling a very funny face. And it's not yeah, your normal we... face. <laughs> I've had uh, West Brom, trying to go in like an order. That was West Brom, that was Everton Palace, Sunderland. He was at Blackburn as well. He had a good spell at Blackburn. Poor Steve Keane ruined everything. He absolutely did. Two years at Ewood Park for Sam Allardyce. That means you've got one remaining. Both of you still in. Omar, do you know who it is? Um, he was our arch nemesis manager as well, West Ham United. I was going to say, he was managing your mates down the road. Yeah, that was his <laughs> last job where he spent multiple seasons. Apart from that, he's only had um, months at jobs prior to that. So, yeah, absolutely, chaps, you've you've nailed it. I think man of the match here, without a doubt, Ian Robertson. Got to take your hat off to you there, son. Thanks. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, boys. You've won Simon Grace and Tate for late. And that's another episode of the Second Tier podcast wrapped up for the weekend. So we'll be back again on Thursday to talk about the handful of midweek games that we've got in the championship. But quick thank you to our guests this week, Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. Omar Renane from that Millwall podcast. Thank you for your time today. Pleasure as always, chaps. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.